Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, I discuss sharing health app features with others, a drug approval for Alzheimer's disease, and a new donation option for medical equipment. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 89 for the week of June 14th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is S90.422D, blister, non-thermal, left great toe, subsequent encounter. (laughs) This is a very, very specific diagnosis code. In fact, I think this is probably the most specific diagnosis code that we've ever had on this podcast. Not only is it a blister, but it's a blister on your left great toe. Uh, this is something that everyone can can relate to. I mean, if you have loose shoes or anything like that, it's most likely either going to end up on your heel, um, underneath, you know, on the side of your foot, or on your big toe. So I wonder if there's other diagnosis codes, and there probably is, for all those other areas where a blister could happen. So anyways, let's get right to the news. First up, we have checking in on your health from a distance. Apple announced that it will let iPhone users share their health app data with others as one of its new health features. With permission, users can share access to their overall heart rate and movement data. They can also share access to alerts, which will ping authorized users when the feature notices things like high heart rate or change in mobility. Apple is also adding a walking steadiness metric. It will use mobility data collected by the iPhone to monitor changes to factors like balance or walking patterns, and will tell users if they're at an increased risk of falling. The app will include exercises to help increase steadiness. These features may be useful to caregivers who are keeping tabs on the health of their loved ones, such as elderly parents, from a distance. Users will also be able to share their health app data with their doctors. So this is kind of cool. Um, you know, I th- obviously there's not that much data here that they're sharing, which is probably good. But it's data that's like, you know, I it's, technically it's protected health information, but it's not really like super, super bad if someone else knows what your heart rate is, right? It's the difference between knowing, you know, that you're, you have hypertension and knowing that you have a high heart rate. It's a big difference because you're doing something, you're exerting some effort there. So that's very interesting. Um, it's, I like the scope that they're taking with it in that they're targeting elderly patients. Um, I think this is a good way for iPhone to advertise this and, you know, get people who probably don't have smart devices to purchase smart devices or have their loved ones purchase smart devices on their behalf because they'll be able to get this kind of data and share it among their family members just in case an emergency happens, right? So it's a it's a very, very well thought out uh, marketing niche and uh, product management like area. So I, I think that's very cool that they're doing this. Hopefully it doesn't get too crazy in terms of the information that people share, but you know, to start, this is pretty neat. Next up, FDA approves drug and then requires confirmation that it actually works. The Food and Drug Administration granted approval to the first new drug for Alzheimer's disease in nearly 20 years based on results that seemed reasonably likely to benefit patients. This was despite warnings from independent advisors that the much debated treatment hasn't been shown to help slow the disease. It's the only drug that the U.S. regulators have said can likely treat the underlying disease rather than manage symptoms. The FDA's top drug regulator acknowledged the uncertainties under the terms of the accelerated approval, 
the FDA is requiring the drug maker to conduct a follow-up study to confirm the benefits. If the study fails to show effectiveness, the FDA could pull the drug from the market. It would be priced around $56,000 for a typical year's worth of treatment, but would receive insurance coverage and discounts, although any price is too high if the drug's benefits are not confirmed. So Alzheimer's drug, I mean, this this is kind of like a breakthrough um, if it actually works, right? I feel like, you know, everyone has their thoughts on the USDA and the FDA, and a lot of times people think that the FDA kind of just pushes things out without really caring too much about the symptoms because they, they seem like they kind of get hyped about something new and just roll with it. Um, maybe this is the case here, but it is good to see that they're going back and saying, all right, well, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit and make sure that you can give us a separate study in a different control environment that is from our, you know, with, with our advisement along the process. I think, you know, this is kind of a cool uh, this is a good way to do it, and if it does work, you know, fifty. Depending on how effective it is, but fifty-six thousand dollars is obviously a very pricey price tag. Luckily, it says that insurance coverage will include discounts. I don't know how much of a discount they would actually give you for something like that. Hopefully, it would be very substantial so that the patient isn't paying, you know, ten, twelve grand for this. But if it does actually have an effectiveness, uh. You know, if it, if it is effective to Alzheimer's, then, you know, if, I guess any price could be worth it. Obviously, you want people to be able to afford it so that they can actually, you know, give people, their loved ones who have Alzheimer's, the, the treatment that they need. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But hopefully this, this actually works like they're saying that it is. Next up, on a mission to offer health equipment. Medical Missions for Christ Clinic is launching a new community resource program to provide medical equipment to those in need. For years, people have been offering medical items to donate, but there was previously no consistent way to store and share them. But with the Shepherd's Keep, which offers a climate-controlled storage space, the clinic can now provide this service to the community. An inventory of available medical supplies and equipment can be found on the clinic's webpage. The page also has information on how to donate or request an item. The items will be available to anyone who needs them, and there are no restrictions or income guidelines. Clinics, social workers, other charities, and individuals can use the program as a resource. It's almost like a, uh, uh, you know, a blockbuster uh, for medical equipment, or a, a, I guess, you know, better is probably a library. Now, obviously, you're not going to return the items if it's something like a syringe. You're not going to reuse a syringe. You can't re-sterilize it. So it's, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of equipment that they use. Uh, it does sound very expensive, but it, it seems like there is a need for something like this, considering they're talked about how they already had donations in the past, but had nowhere to store them. Now they have somewhere to store them, which is really cool. Um, you know, hopefully, I wonder what the cleaning guidelines for this is. I imagine it's pretty uh, intense because you don't want medical equipment to get contaminated in any kind of way. Um, so hopefully they can keep up with that. And hopefully, you know, they are getting as many donations as they say they're getting because this is really cool uh, because, you know, there's so many clinics, social workers, charities and stuff uh, who just need medical equipment. They don't have access to it. They don't have the capital to source it. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens here with, you know, medical missions for Christ Clinic. I think this is a really cool thing. I hope a lot of if this works out really well, even if it doesn't work out really well. I hope a lot of other organizations that work in the medical industry have a similar scenario and can uh, 
implement something like this. I think that would be very, very, very helpful. And with that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We're talking about the latest breaches all across the world. First up, we have hospitals forced into traditional note-taking. A cyber attack on two University of Florida health hospitals has driven clinicians into EHR downtime procedures. Its leadership is investigating the ongoing attack, which is suspected to be the result of ransomware. One of the victims, the village's regional hospital, is one of the largest retirement communities in the U.S. with more than 130,000 residents. When the hospital's computer systems began showing unusual activity, the IT staff quickly shut down multiple systems to prevent further impact. To protect the system, access has been suspended to the platform. Clinicians are documenting all patient care via pen and paper. Patient care has not been disrupted by the outages. Wow. So, you know, this goes back to ransomware. I mean, ransomware is not going away anytime soon. It's only going to continue to get more popular, especially with more and more organizations paying the, the bad actors who start ransomware to begin with. Um, and, you know, healthcare is certainly one of those industries that is going to be targeted uh, very, very heavily with ransomware. Um, very valuable data. It is absolutely crazy. And it's very, you know, it's good that they have a contingency plan in place here. The Villages Regional Hospital, it sounds kind of silly that they're writing stuff on pen and paper, but there's still patients that need to be taken care of at the end of the day. And, you know, pen and paper is the tried and true way. I mean, I imagine that there's still some doctors there that used to have to do it on pen and paper. And I imagine that there's more doctors there that haven't even, weren't even in the field that they're in now with pen and paper. So, you know, there's a little bit of a, a, a learning curve there, but it's very, very, I mean, this is a, this is a crazy scenario for sure. I, I, hopefully all the patients are okay. They're getting adequate care. Hopefully the doctors, nurses, and the medical staff are able to document all this stuff accordingly and also protect it. Obviously, if, if you're taking notes on patient encounters, it's PHI, and it's not in a secure environment like an EHR or something like that, and it's just paper, someone could get into it and just steal them, and then you have no backups or anything, right? So also worth noting, I wonder if converting to paper records from paper records to the electronic system back when they get it back up, how is that going to work? Are they just going to copy paper into PDF format? Probably, maybe. I mean, that sounds good, right? Um, but also, no one can read doctor's writing. So hopefully they can... Hopefully they're writing legibly. <laughs> Next up, Navistar, not the Star Corporation. Navistar International Corporation, a U.S.-based maker of trucks and military vehicles, says that unknown actors have stolen data from its network. The company said that operations have been impacted despite the breach. Navistar took a series of measures designed to mitigate the potential impact. It launched an investigation and took immediate action in accordance with its cybersecurity response plan. Navistar also engaged internal and third-party security experts to assess impacts, and it used additional security measures to help safeguard the integrity of its data. So I'm going to assume, you know, since Navistar creates trucks and military vehicles, I imagine that they are a contractor with the Department of Defense. And if that's the case, then they need to make sure that they are starting to get more compliant with CMMC guideline that the DOD put out. Uh, they have about two years to do that, but CMMC is, is coming into fruition 
and becoming a requirement purposefully for scenarios like this to kind of try to mitigate the risk further um, for the DOD because, you know, I mean, any kind of contractor for a government agency is going to deal with sensitive information, um, whether it be top secret information or anything like that. So that information obviously is right up there with PHI. We don't want that to be leaked. So, um, you know, hopefully Navistar, their cybersecurity response plan, I imagine, I imagine their cybersecurity response plan is uh, very, very involved and very comprehensive. So hopefully everything works out for them on their end. Um, but I imagine that they're also working on CMMC uh, safeguards as well for the coming years. And finally, stealing a pizza of your data. An attacker claimed to have hacked an Indian database, leaking 13 terabytes of Domino's Pizza data on the dark web. This included Domino's India customer names, email IDs, phone numbers, and GPS locations. Around a month after the first user leaked the data related to 18 million pizza chain orders, this data was republished on the dark web. Domino's India said that no financial information of anyone was accessed and the incident has no operational or business impact. It doesn't sound like it does. I mean, in this scenario, it doesn't sound like it would have had a business impact in any kind of way, really. I mean, other than email IDs and customer names, you got to watch out for phishing attacks. So if you're listening to this podcast and you ended up being breached by Domino's India, um, look out for those. But other than that, I mean, you know, what else are they going to do with the information? GPS locations. Sure, that's kind of sensitive information. But these days, people move around so much. I can't imagine that it's very it's really that sensitive. And there's so much of it that it's going to be impossible to kind of like parse through that. Um, but. You know, I don't know what else they're going to do. Like, what's the hacker going to do with, you know, oh, John, he really likes pineapple on his pizza. This guy likes pineapple on pizza. We need to target him for a phishing attack because there's so, you know, people, there's that argument that people don't like pineapple on pizza. And there's an argument that people do like pineapple on their pizza. I'm on the latter half of that. But there's not that much information or anything bad that could happen for knowing someone's pizza order preference, right? Oh, this guy likes gluten-free pizza. Like, what am I going to do with that? So... Um, scary nonetheless because of the data and the amount of data that was hacked, but really the impact of it isn't that severe. And that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Matt Moneypenny. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.